Jacob, I have a question for you. We just finished Christmas, and I've been wondering. Uh, first of all, I want to say I hope everybody, including you, had a good holiday and a good Christmas. Hope you got what you wanted. But if you didn't, and you could choose anything in the world that you would want besides world peace, and and I, world peace is is very good thing to have, but that seems to be the universal answer. Everybody wants world peace. But so other than that, what would you have? Because we all want world peace. Anything what would you want under anything? Anything. So I made it really broad. Yeah, thanks for so that. So you can hit anything. You're welcome. That makes it harder, doesn't it? Yeah. If I could have anything. Anything. It's hard for me to ask for anything because I typically don't want anything. I always tell people, I'm like, don't buy me anything. I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm a grown man. I have a salary. I buy my own things when I want them. I don't want to wait. I don't need to wait for a day. Do it myself. But if we're thinking broad as world peace, you know what? You know what? Honestly, <laughs> this is this is what uh, I want. You ready? Okay. Maybe. I wish that whatever limitations or mandates that are being put on archaeologists to where it keeps us from having really deep digs into these really historical sites were removed. Oh, now that was not anything <laughs> in my thinking process that I would have thought you would have said. So, pray tell why, why that answer. Alright, here's why. Mm -hmm. Because I watch, like, I go down, I love history, first of all. One of my favorite subjects. Uh, now, I'm picky, I'm, I'm very picky about, like, the time I get obsessed with or whatever, but I love these like ancient sites like for instance like all of these places in egypt like there's area under the sphinx did you know that yes like, there's there's like these tunnels like deep yes. underground but the public's not allowed in there and we don't really have any record of it because the egyptian government's like no you don't get to go in there and so, but there's tons of these sites. There's places in like South America, for instance, like we have all of these sites like, uh, oh. what, what happens? Your phone go off? Oh, I didn't hear it at all. There's a place called Globekli Tepe. Okay. Okay. It is the oldest known archeological site of its kind, right? Older than the pyramids, just super ancient, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's very sophisticated, but it was buried under these huge mounds of dirt and rock and stone. It was just buried. And it looks like it was buried intentionally, which is the wild part. But the way we discovered it is LIDAR. And so all of these huge mounds that are around, especially in like South America, there's these huge areas where we have found megalithic structures that are ancient, but we've never dug them up because of all the laws and restrictions and stuff around these places. And to me, it's like, why wouldn't you like think about all like chi like the Chinese dynasties, for instance, those goes back thousands of centuries. And so you would think of like just thinking of this archaeological history that's there and like all over the world, like all of these places where we could find so much, like there's so much in, like I was just watching a thing on the Sahara desert and how there's so much stuff that is probably buried 
because it wasn't a desert just a few couple thousand, 6,000 years ago, whatever it was, it was full of greens and all of this stuff. So, you know, there were civilizations or at least like hunter gatherer things and animals and all kinds of stuff. That's probably there just buried in this like little desert. Like we found, we find fossilized stuff all the time. There's fossilized wood that has been there for centuries. This is stuff that I watch all the time. And so you like, for me, I'm like, I just want the answers. I want to know. I don't want restrictions. Let archaeologists go in there. It's like if you're an ancient site, you let people in. It could be your people, right? It didn't have to be American mm-hmm. people. Like whoever, as long as you're sharing the information. Because think about the knowledge that we don't have. Like, Because people are like, well, because what gets me is this. It's the conversations where they're like, okay, so, so a place like Glo- Globeckley Tepe. Here, Google it while you're sitting here. I want you to see this place. All right. Globeckley. So like G-L-O. All right. Globally, <laughs> Tepe, something like that. They, <clears throat> people are like, okay, so usually they talk about like the remnants of like other societies or other civilizations that have led up to this, like these structures, right? So they want to, um, like they want to find like, oh, like, yeah, this is like a culmination of this knowledge. Like in the pyramids, you can kind of see like, them practicing up until they got to like the great pyramid and everything else. You can, there's like, there's evidence enough that they had kind of been messing around with stuff before they made the pristine pyramids as we know them. Mm-hmm. But we don't have that for Globeckley Tepe because it's so old. It's like the, there's so many, there's all of these like megalithic sites that we just really don't have. Um, a lot of rhyme or reason for or how they did it because according to the archaeological record like these are supposed to be hunter gatherers and hunter gatherers don't make permanent places like that made of stonework that are made with several tons stones and you have uh that one place i forget the name of it that was like literally built into the side of the mountain it's like a whole like thing have Petra? you ever seen that yeah Yeah, and yeah, Petra. But there's tons of places like this, but we have so little information, but there's a lot of stuff hidden and there's a lot of stuff hidden even in Egypt where you think like there's such a tourist attraction that you would want to like uncover all this. And we know a lot of it's there because of LIDAR, but we don't uncover it. So there's my answer. That's my Christmas gift of myself. Crazy. Well, so so you're so that's in uh, Turkey is where you're talking about. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like it's all over the world. Mm -hmm. And that's what is so fascinating to me. Um, And there's like the, like we have, there's uh, a lot of this I've gotten from in full disclosure uh, from this guy named Graham Hancock, which a lot of people say he's a pseudo archeologist, et cetera, et cetera. He's a journalist. He's not even an archeologist. He just finds this stuff interesting. Now he makes a lot of claims. Like he's very big into the whole, like he thinks there was a civilization an advanced civilization pre the last ice age and that we've lost a lot of that history over time and through the ice age and whatnot. Um, and that's why, so he thinks like there's like a hidden civilization, right? And like he pulls in Atlantis and all this other stuff, but he brings up some valid points, um, about just some of these ancient sites. And one of the things I like about him the most is he just points out a lot of stuff that people, um, just kind of want to address. Like he brought that to my attention, like, uh, these places that, we found, but we won't, we just haven't dug up like these places that look like massive hills places, 
but they're really you because of the lidar you can tell there's walls and all kinds of stuff underground Mm-hmm. Just got to uncover it. I don't know. That's just like infinitely fascinating. Or there's these huge caves in Egypt that are like they're legit dug out and they're massive. And there's like this this it's impossible to like imagine how like where'd the rock go? How did they do it? Like there's all of this non answerable stuff. But I feel like we can mm-hmm. have answers if we just had a little bit more freedom. Well, that is fascinating. My um, <laughs> I have my my aunt and uncle, they were part of the Texas uh, Archaeological Association. Mm -hmm. So they would go out near Big Ben and all those areas, and they would go and dig. Um, It was kind of cool, some of the stuff that that they were part of, different projects. So, yeah, I think that's fascinating. I uh, think thinking about digging for information and you go and find it. Uh, Rembrandt, they just discovered that his, through x-rays and stuff like that the different layers they actually discovered that uh his first layer was lead on uh this one particular uh the night watchman and anyway that was kind of fascinating that that they can actually look at layers and layers of paint and mm-hmm. anyway answered a lot of questions because they kept coming up with these lead uh deposits that kept rising up to the surface and anyway so, so does that mean that all the people near that have lead poisoning? <laughs> I, mean, I don't even know. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, because now we won't even let lead be in paint. But yeah, it's just kind of an interesting concept. But no, I, I've always been fascinated by the past and uncovering things. But I no, I would not have expected that to be your answer. Well, what gets me, okay, so I, I don't know, I've kind of gone down rabbit holes, like over break. This is what I do, right? We've, okay. talked, we've documented my craziness when I don't have work. So mm-hmm. what I've been really falling into rabbit holes on is like these, like just documentaries, like both amateur and professional ones, just listening to knowledge and, you know, kind of deciphering what I, which, which path I want to go down or whatever. But there was um, these, I, I guess the the discoveries of really trying to think through just like how, how little we know, like for instance, like you think we have a lot more knowledge about certain things and that we really have like these huge drafts of stuff. But like, for instance, like we don't have any record really of how the pyramids were made. Like they didn't write about it or at least that we know. Right. Yeah. We haven't found it. We Mm -hmm. also, so like I just watched a whole documentary about the Incas and in my head, like, it's nothing I really dove into before. I'm like, oh, sure. Like, the Incas, like, we've always heard that. The Incas and the Aztecs, right? Those are, like, the two mm-hmm. great uh, Native American tribes that we we study all in school and we hear about. But the amount of knowledge that we have about it is, re- like, to our knowledge, the Incas don't have a written language. Did you know that? No. So I guess how much history we have about them? <laughs> well, not <laughs> like that much there's... is written, that's for sure. Well, <laughs> we and I was... By there. There's nothing, you know, that's the Aztec calendar. They had a calendar. Anyway, go ahead. Or the Mayas, right? The Mayan calendar. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. But so they have. The Incas, but I was the watching, Mayans, and the Aztecs. Yeah. Those are the three big ones. Okay. But the Incas, they took up, I mean, they like this whole like swath of South America, right? Well, we yeah, they were this. all in the Pyrenees. Yeah. Not so the Pyrenees. The, the Pyrenees are in, in uh, Spain and France. Yeah. Um, so they <laughs> so what mountain range is it? The second highest mountain range. Yeah. 
and I've lost it in my head. Anyway, oh go ahead. Oh my god. They Sorry. uh no, so what the what we know about them predominantly is from the conquerors that came over, right? The yeah, the, the Spaniards the Spain, and everyone else yeah. that came. And so we know that history is corrupted because the the <laughs> the the conquerors aren't going to document the people they they conquered with a lot of uh, reverence and respect. We know that through history, so we have to look at that through a certain lens. But this oh. woman was it's the going, Andes Mountains. They're all in the yeah, you know, over there. But they were or down there, I guess, from where <laughs> we're at. But do what? The, this woman <laughs> i'm going on a tangent this woman she was, she was so they have like these i forget what she called them so apologies for anyone who has more knowledge on this than me but like the, i guess these uh like ropes that are tied together so her theory is that they had a level of communication of storytelling through how they weaved rope so imagine like a bunch of like tassels almost like a mm. hundred tied to like a, another piece of string. So it was like all lengthwise and each of them was like a, almost like a piece of narrative. So almost like hieroglyphics, but with the way you weave yarn and rope and stuff. And so no, that that's was fascinating. That was her theory. And she was like, I, th and she, ha they had compelling evidence. I, I don't know enough about it to speak on it confidently here, but she was saying, this is what they thought about the Egyptians too. When they found like all the hieroglyphs, people were like, Oh, I think this is a language. And so, you know, 20 years later, they kind of deciphered it and figured it all out. And, um, and how yeah, the that... Rosetta stone. Yeah. <laughs> right. That was like the, the big thing. And so she's thinking that this could have something similar, but there's so much like they have left to uncover and all this. I just find that infinitely fascinating of like the, the amount of things we don't know, but like we, we know enough to where we study about it and whatever, but then you go, Oh, we really don't have a lot of evidence. Like we don't have a lot of evidence about Alexander the great, for instance, like we know he existed and we know mm -hmm. like these things that happened, but we really don't, there's not a lot of hardcore evidence. And that just amazes me sometimes. I'm like, God, what do we actually know? I don't think we know anything. Ochoa. The you aliens know are playing anything. with us. That's what I know. <laughs> well, that's what they say. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I hope they just come down well, and like, in, all right, guys, Machu, we've had enough. It, yeah. Well, in, in Chile and in, in Machu Picchu up there in the Andes, yeah, in that Inca, so. Is that Inca? That is, isn't it? We look look it at what up. we're doing. What? And we haven't even gotten to our subject yet. It, it literally doesn't even matter. We're <laughs> this is the end. This is the end of 2023. Much be Yeah, Inca Citadel. Yeah. See, that's wild too. This is a huge area. But if you look at it, it's all on this hill. Like it was buried before all of this. Yeah, but they they're actually about to shut it down, I think. Uh, people can go. It's a big tourist attraction. It's like usually on somebody's bucket list. But uh, but they're, I think they're about to close it down because they feel like all the tourists are, are destroying the destroying it. Yeah, they probably are. That's one thing about Just, humans is that we... There's well, so too many. many it's the traffic. Yeah. yeah. But you don't have like... People just have... Because did you know that like the... Because when you see like the old pictures of the pyramids, like the old like depictions, like they're real smooth. I've always wondered people like they're so smooth, but they look all rocky. It's because there was these out there was the outer casing. Yes. That was like white limestone and people have chipped it away and taken it and all this other stuff. And that's why. Yeah. To me. That's why, Which like, is some why of these ancient sites are ruined. Well, but going back to why there are laws, there you go. 
Yeah. <laughs> now we've come full circle. Get rid of the laws, but now you can discover, well, we have to have some of them. But anyway. I get, I get it. Yeah. No, I think that's all fascinating. I like to, yeah. And just think about all the stuff that's been destroyed that we will never, ever know anything about. Yeah. Or the stuff that's just like like mm-hmm. the, the Library of Alexandria. Like yeah, that's the, that's the big one. Like it was all burned and lost uh-huh. to time. And that's why, like, when you think about, because at the time when they were discovered, I don't think I was old enough to really know the significance, but like the Dead Sea Scrolls, like how significant it was that like oh, yeah. these scrolls just exist in like these little pots in a cave somewhere. <laughs> like, yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. So, anyway. Well, everybody, welcome to, po- <laughs> to our podcast, Craft and Draft <laughs> Workshop. I'm Pam Ochoa. That's Jacob Chastain. So what are we going to be talking about today other than archaeology? Or are we? To, are we going to uh, continue might, to dig up stuff? Uh, we might. We might. We're talking about how to get kids to think, how to push past the pause, how to how to get them to have a, you know, roughly 15 minute conversation about the ancient past and how maybe that could connect to things. But really, I mean, talking about thinking everything that goes involved with it we couldn't figure out a better way to really close out this is i'm, I'm gonna say most likely because sometimes we get a wild hair and we're like let's podcast again tomorrow um but i'm pretty sure this will be the last time you and i at least record um 2023 this is december 28th so this is quite a, a monumentous podcast we've done several of these before the new year we've done several different versions but we're just gonna have a grand old conversation on this one we think everyone's tired out there we think teachers are needing a break wanting a break tuning out and so hopefully when you come back you can giggle at our meanderings but truthfully we are talking about uh how to work with kids through their thinking how to get them to think and pretty much everything in between but i want to tell you that you can support this podcast by subscribing right now get a podcast every single week Sometimes we do more, but pretty much every single week. Or you can join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash craft and draft. You can get bonus episodes. You can get our craft and draft journaling system set up. You can get training videos, inspirational videos, bonus episodes, and so much more that we try to do there as often as we can. Just like Donna, Amanda, Matt, Jen, Lori, Hannah, Andrea, Tracy, Susan, Natalie, Destiny, Melissa, Carol, Courtney, Rebecca, Sarah, Amy, Mark, Leah, Brandy, and Alicia all do. They all support us over there. Some of them have supported us for a very long time. So thank you guys for keeping the lights on. If this podcast helps you at all, join us over there. You get tons of bonus perks, tons of bonus content that you can peruse at your own pace. But let's get to the conversation. All right, Ochoa. It's been a minute since we've chatted. That's usually when yeah. we have the, the longest meanderings of an intro. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, we haven't talked in a while. It's our show. It's fine. We do what we want. Okay. That's what, you know what? The people that talk to us the most, right? The people that DM us or send us messages or whatever, they're the ones who say we love the, the whatever comes up, right? It's the people mm-hmm. like, maybe like a passerby who finds the podcast and they're like, oh, I want to learn about workshop. Then the hearers talk, you know, very vaguely about a variety of historical things. They're like, I don't know what this is, but, you know, whatever. But the people who stay for the enjoyment that are like, you know what, let's have a great conversation. They're, they're our true fans. We like them. And so they they stick around through all the craziness that we bring up. Well, we appreciate it. Yeah. And I hope they've had a good year, everybody, all of y'all. I know. I was just 
there's it's been a, it's been a wild time. This has been a, a weird year. I personally I can't believe we're about to go into 2024. I know it's crazy. It's it's a big moment for a lot of reasons. I'm almost halfway through my second year as assistant principal. My son's about to be 12. No, that's crazy. I remember he's, he's, he's a lot the, younger. And he's in the grade that I taught for the majority of my time. Yeah. A few years he's going to be in high school. Like, it's it's so funny because you can tell. Because for people who don't know, he's autistic. So, like, his his behavior is a little, you know, it, it's a little zany sometimes. Like, I'll give, <laughs> I'll give you two examples. So, he loves, he gets these obsessions, right? And you've seen him. He loves computers. He loves wiring things. Right now, he's super into fire alarms and thermostats. He has, like, a billion of them. That's all he got for Christmas was just tons of fire alarm stuff and thermostats. I literally bought him, like, a fire alarm panel. That was, like, $300 off of eBay. So, he could wire it up and do all these other things with it. And so he sets them off all day long and plays with them and wires them up. And last night he realized that he had a gift card and some money from his grandparents. And so he was like, I got to go to Home Depot. And I was like, oh, my God. So like 930, I get in my truck. I take him to Home Depot. And he's super Home Depot's open at 930? Yeah, I didn't believe it. They close at 10. Oh, okay. I I did not know that. Me neither. I was really counting on the fact that they weren't. Well, they used to be open 24 hours, but everything's shut down now. Anyway, yeah, nothing, go ahead. Nothing stays open 24 hours anymore, Mm-mm. except for Whataburger. Um. <laughs> that's in, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, so I go and he ends up finding this, uh, you know, he's looking at fire alarms and stuff and he finds one that's just sitting there. So obviously someone took theirs in, they found a replacement and left that one there. And he asked every employee that we saw, could he have it? And they're all like, yeah, we don't care. We're going to throw it away anyway. So he walked away with two alarms and a bonus one that he found that he dated back to 1999. Oh, wow. And it just cracked me up. And I was like, oh, man. And I can't remember for the life of me how I got onto this topic. What triggered that thought process? I had a reason. Well, all I know is I said, I hope we all had a good year. And you said it's been a wild year. My son is now 12. Yeah, and then we're talking about him going to high school, growing up. I don't remember. His behaviors are different. His behaviors are different. But, oh, I was telling you because him growing up. (laughs) But so he does those things, which is hilarious. But every once in a while, he does something that is very like a typical kid for his age. And the other day I was about to make breakfast and I go, hey, Matt, do you want eggs and bacon? And he goes, what? I go, do you want breakfast? And he goes, you're always asking me this. <laughs> he just like got so <laughs> upset and offended that I was asking him what he wanted for breakfast. I was like, all right, dang. That's, you just had to say no. That's all you had to say. He's like, but you always <laughs> ask me. And I'm like, I won't ask you again. <laughs> like, I'm done. <laughs> but just that teenager, you know, like that budding, like the, uh-huh. the moodiness, it just cracked me up because he doesn't always have typical responses to things. That's interesting. Anyway. Well, I think let's just translate in that into the classroom. But I think sure. that's what we have in our classroom, right? I mean, yeah, we got to find what makes that kid tick. Except we got 30 of them to figure out. That's right. Well, and this goes to the whole thinking piece and why, you know, the I feel like we're going to have a theme going into 2024. So mark my words on this day. We'll see if this continues. But I feel like our theme is going to continuously talk about how 
more and more places are getting more and more strict with what their curriculum looks like, with what these yeah. pacing guides look like. Um, <clears throat> and so the conversation is going to arise. Well, okay, so now all of these places have invested in these programs. They've invested in um, reshaping how something should look, getting more teachers, quote unquote, aligned. And then what happens when scores don't move? What happens when more kids drop out? What happens when teachers are increasingly frustrated because now they're just filling a role like and they're they're going to college, they're getting into debt to work for a salary that will never pay off their student loans. Um, and so they're going to be increasingly more frustrated with the the career, the job choice and everything. But kids won't be learning. And so they'll be like, OK, so what do we do now? And so I think people are going to start going, okay, so I'm going to have to start differentiating, right, mm -hmm. to meet all of these needs. And I think that's where a lot of this comes from. Like my kid is never going to be a, a typical kid in a classroom. So it's never going to happen. But there's, there's, like you said, that's what our classrooms are. There's always these kids that do that. So it becomes the teacher's job to go, okay, so I'm being told to do this, but this doesn't fit 10% of the kids in my classroom. What do I do with them? Mm-hmm. What's the answer? Well, I don't know. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Yes, I know it's difficult. That I do know. But I, I think I think that's where writing and that's why the workshop is so important. Even if you can only do like fragments of it, I, I think some of the stuff I'm hearing and uh from some of the the um teachers that I talk to on on not a complete regular basis, but you know, I still talk to quite a few people. And uh, one of the biggest issues that I'm hearing is we don't have time to do those things because we have to. And then they give me a list of all the different, um, uh, I would say, activities that they have to do to get the kids to read. So like they have to do all their uh, phonics cards and they have to do so they have to have 10 minutes of that and they have to have. 10 minutes of straight vocabulary and then they have to have so I'm, I'm not in the classroom right now and I know that but what I'm hearing it just sounds so isolationist you know in other words the workshop the, the thing and the beauty of the workshop is that it allows the kids to explore it allows the teacher to become a facilitator uh it it removes this idea of a worksheet, if you will, this idea of where the thinking is being done for the student. And uh, there's a lot of exploration uh, that I think is is more available for the student. But from what I'm hearing right now, they're taking a lot of that choice and all of that away. At least the teachers feel like they are. And so I I would just have to dig in and maybe that's what we need to do this whole Years just kind of this next year is kind of look and see what's being done, how it's being done, and then come up with some solutions for people. And I wish more people would like ask us questions, so then that way we would know what they're interested in. So for next year, maybe we need we need more questions from people so that we can we can address the different things. But I I just feel like like they don't feel like there's enough time to do workshop, and so because of that, I fear personally that the thinking that I'm used to having in my classroom will not be there anymore. It won't be available. So it, it, it's almost like we're going back to the old paradigm, you know, in the old days, right before, even before I, you know, probably I was at the end of that in my, 
in my education in actual public school. But even before that, it was more like getting them ready for the factory, getting them ready for the factory. So everybody had to do the same thing. You had to do it the same way. Everybody was in rows. There was no grouping. I was hardly ever in a group going through school. I was always, it was always in rows. That's how I was taught. And I was given worksheets, how I was taught. And I was teacher just printed them off because they were wet and they smelled like that ditto uh, stuff, which we've had a whole conversation about that before the ditto machine. But anyway, the whole thing is, is that's how it was when, when I was going through school, we all sat in rows and we still loved our teachers. We still loved, loved those things, but it was the teachers that when I got into seventh grade and I had that one Miss MacArthur, she's now got a different name, I think, but when I had her, she was young and she was Miss MacArthur and she she would just have these quotes on the, you know, she decorated her whole entire room in quotes and um, inspiring quotes, things like that. And then she would, she would talk about one of them every day and then put it up and we would discuss that. But then she had an actual classroom library so we could pick stuff off of her, her shelves and go read. That was the first time I ever experienced that. And, and learning was so much different in her class than anybody else's. and. You know, so I don't know. The whole point is, is there was a, a lot of my learning. I kind of credit to her as far as like my wanting to read. She allowed us to explore different topics, different subjects. Granted, it was a reading class, but but I think that's really where I started liking learning. And I think it was because she allowed us and she would let us investigate and discuss all kinds of stuff. And so my love for learning, I think, started with her class. Well, for anyone who's interested, I guess, in the broader scope of this one, I need to reread it, but I, and I've been trying to get her on the podcast for a long time, but Dana Goldstein, um, wrote the book teacher, the teacher wars, a history of America's most embattled profession. It's 175 years of history of teaching. And it talks about like, like, I mean, go into details that you never hear about, which is like the, a lot of the push for public schooling was done through these kind of lobbyist parties, which had their roots in kind of communism and socialism and whatnot, which oh. I thought was super fascinating mm -hmm. um, because it became this like, you know, a lot of people see public education as a, as an exemplification of you know, America's dedication to democracy because people have to be educated in order to participate in a democracy. And that's one way to look at it, but it has its roots in a lot of, I guess, like kind of like these communist push. So there was this distrust from teachers from the very beginning um, of, of public education, which I thought was really interesting about. But the, what made me go down that rabbit hole in my own head while you were talking was um, to, to think about that book was, the changes that are coming down and, and how it's affecting thinking and how it's affecting just teaching and the lesson design uh, or lesson design in general and whatnot is there. It, my question to myself was, it's like, where do these decisions come from? Like where, who are the people sitting in, in the rooms that decide we need to do this, we need to do that. And then, how does that go into all of these districts? And it, it, I guess it seems like a question that like, 
we should know the answer to. But generally, like, I don't, I don't know it exactly enough to tell you. And I think that, I think to me, like, I've always been an advocate of kind of educators being involved in these things. Doesn't mean you have to be a political junkie, but knowing how these decisions kind of get made and where they go um, and how these, how these decisions made by these people affect everyone. And I'm kind of realizing my own gap and my own knowledge of, I genuinely don't know. Like I, I don't mm-hmm. like, I know that Texas and I know the federal government brings in educators a lot and they get, um, they go through like consulting. Um, I know that, like Texas, when they were revising curriculum, like they invited teachers to come and look at stuff. Um, but they're not the ones who ultimately decide stuff. Like co- consulting and giving your opinion is different than making the decision. It's different than mm-hmm. Texas deciding that they're going to go with a very specific reading program in response to COVID. It's different than the federal government to add their tweaks when they do Common Core and everything else. Um, and I think that, is really interesting because I think what that might help people do is learn how these things affect the classroom to where you can speak to it in a broader sense. Like when on a much smaller level, when I was a department chair and we were really trying to push authentic reading and writing, but we didn't always work with people who saw the vision that way is we really, educated ourselves on why kids need to be independently reading, why they should have choice, why they should be independently writing, why we shouldn't control every aspect of their literacy lives. And because of that, it armed us to have better conversations with people who didn't understand it as much. And so we're going through all of these changes in education. And I think that's, I think that should play a a role. Like when we're thought, when we're talking about how to get kids to think and how to move them uh, to certain ways of thinking it's almost a moot point if if every if we don't know the how everything else is happening around us and how to affect it i guess i don't know i don't know if that's too broad of a a rabbit hole but that's that's kind of where my mind goes Mm -hmm. well i know i remember in my because i have a minor i had a a a double major in, in english and history and then my minor was in education and i remember my education classes uh, they talked about uh, we had to do the history of, of public schools in in U.S. And, of course, they they were talking about how um, one of the reasons we had public school here in the United States was so that we could um, instill American ideals. And so that everybody because it was a. You know, people came from all, as they do today, come from all different areas in the world. And so public education was one way to make sure that everybody knew what being American was about. And that's probably the same way in in many other countries. You know, one of the reasons why you keep history and you learn history. But I, I still, like you said, I mean, I'm. The thing is, is, is I think what we really need personally is we need future citizens, if you will, that can solve problems. Uh, I do, and and find solutions to things that issues that we we may not and have not ever experienced before. I mean, just think about the technology and what we can do right now with technology 
Uh, you know, you and I both have talked about AI, but even beyond that, I mean, whatever, I mean, that's what I know about, but they're already thinking beyond, you know, that going to different, uh, you know, colonizing other worlds, if you will, planets going to Mars, those types of things. But so I think it's our responsibility to teach kids to think beyond the moment that they're in right now. And um, and I think I think the only way we can do that is in the classroom, give them opportunities to think through issues and think through problems. And, and I really feel that uh, reading and writing is one of the best ways to, to do that and then allow that exploration in your classroom. So anyway, I might have not gotten completely back where you were you were going but <laughs> my question in my head right now is like you asked me at the very very beginning and I didn't answer it and that was how do we do that and I, I'm thinking I'm thinking too one of the things that's in my my brain some of the stuff that that I've done in the classroom uh you know your typical brainstorming those types of things where we create lists uh encourage teacher we we got to have a safe environment you know kids have got to be validated they have to have confidence in themselves so many children come to us without confidence in their own selves because they're through their experiences in the world and in social situations they've been demoralized etc and you know and and crushed their spirits been crushed etc so i've had very uh, many children who have been like that and so um through writing and validating it really a lot through writing for me, I've been able to reach in and help a student come along because I can validate their ideas. I can celebrate what their thinking is on the page. And then through that, I can, through conferencing and things, I can encourage that. I think, I think with, um, with all these mandates that are coming down, uh, to me, as we said at the beginning, um, there's a lot that can be said for two minute moments in your classroom. And I, my kids can write a lot in two minutes. It's it's kind of, I, w- I would do two minute moments as much as I could in the classroom where it's like, you just stop and do, a, you know, this kind of brain thinking. And I would tie it back to the learning you want them to do that day, whatever the state wants you to learn. Um, no matter what happens, then you can have them think beyond what they're looking at at that moment. So what, and so, so the word, you know how in, I'm going on now, but you know how I always, when I begin a new year, I start with a word. Mm -hmm. I think, I think when I start my new class, if I have another class, I think the word will be possibilities. And I think that possibilities all year long would be my thing. What are the possibilities? So even if you're doing something as simple as sounds, right? Teaching kids, young kids to read and you're teaching them about sounds. What are all the different sounds? I mean, how would they go together? What are the possibilities of sounds? And what, how, you know, how, what word has the most sounds in it? You know, that kind of, I would, I would kind of make a game out of it. You know, that might be one thing I do where they, they might can go and search for, uh, ask your parents what, you know, different sounds and they might have different languages. So what are the sounds of your language? Bring those back to the classroom. But the whole thing is like a two minute moment where we just stop and talk about sound and how we make sound and how, how, you know, what we do. And so then go to the next thing. But I'm just saying, I'm wondering if you could do two minute moments. Me, it would be like in the, you know, secondary level, I'm more a secondary person, but in the secondary level, I mean, whatever we're trying to teach, uh, even if it's like character analysis, 
what are the possibilities of different characters that you could enter into the story that you're reading? How many, I mean, how could you put yourself, if you were there, what would be the possibilities? How would you change the storyline if you entered into this story and then write about it? Two minutes. So I'm just saying there's, there's a lot you can do in two minute moments. So that was one way. I agree. I think it's good. I think that, and I, I've always loved the, the word idea of starting with stuff, but also just like throwing stuff out there to see how kids react in the first place, like shaking them out of their mundane experience at school, because that, I mean, that's really like, when you think about like Ron Clark or any of the, the, the many of iterations of kind of that philosophy have taken what he realized as an educator and what he ended up taking to his school. And then what tons of people have taken from that is just doing something different that engages kids. And now it's the, the typical thing that people talk about is the bigger than life stuff, the big lessons, the, the events showing up in costumes, going outside, you know, doing, doing things that are visibly striking, but what I think is far more effective in a lot of ways, maybe not every way, but in a lot of ways is what you're talking about is just shaking them out of the same thought patterns, because especially Mm -hmm. by the time they get to middle school, they've already figured out how, what gets them whatever grade they need and the, whatever grade they're accepted or whatever grade they accept in writing or reading. Right. They're like, Oh, I know that I can kind of fake read here and answer these questions like this. And I'll at least make a 70. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they come into middle school doing what they come into sixth grade. They come in writing the five paragraph essay. They come in writing. You know what I want to tell you about? I want to tell you about the time I had my best friend over and we had ice cream. Um, (laughs) The problem with a workshop teacher is you come in. Sure. Bring your tricks, bring whatever shortcuts you were taught, whatever processes that your teacher from teacher pay teacher used for the last five years. Cause everyone shares their lesson plans at your, that other campus you came from and you come to my class and you sit down and you do those things. All right. In three weeks, how many more tricks do you got? You're pretty much mm-hmm. out because we've been writing every single day. We've been right. reading every single day. You're done. You've already right. written more in my class in three weeks than you wrote the last three years. Right. No, that's true. And so guess what happens? They're like, oh, I don't know what to do anymore, right? They, they almost freeze. And then that's when you go, I wonder, you ever thought about, you know, and you start right. bringing these like little extra ideas and stuff. And that's kind of what, like just thinking back to my own stuff is even, because I'm, oh, hang on, I'm, I'm jumping around in my head. So like even for me, like I've always had those moments, but it does take a few weeks. Like I kind of let them get acclimated, teach them the processes, learn kind of where they're at for those first few weeks. And then bef- once they really stop freezing, then I really ramp up like the stuff that we're going to look at. And for you, I feel like, and I'm curious if you notice this, let's say you start with your word day one, day two, whatever. Um, and they're going and, you know, they kind of maybe bring up like the typical stuff. Do you feel like those early days are almost very typical for how they respond? And then you maybe go back in three weeks and look at stuff and kids just have a different perspective on those things, like a different perspective on Uh, like you, it's like you've broken through, but it takes a period of time. It takes time, but I've had some of my best writing from that because what'll happen is, um, we might look at, 
some books that go along that way and some poems that go along that way. And then we go back and we look over our writing and then we go back into our writing. And sometimes some of those pieces of writing that they started off with, you know, are kind of surface. And then what happens is they move into a deeper realm. Uh, One case comes to mind where this boy was, uh, I think my word was clouds that year. And so, um, so anyway, he was writing about clouds. Well, then later on, he just wrote like, you know, like, hey, this is a cool cloud, blah, blah, blah. He didn't, you know, it was real surface. Then we came back into it. And then he wrote, we did some things about, I think, with uh, family and stuff like that. But then we tied it back to clouds in some way. But anyway, the whole point is the kid, he went back into the writing. And with the combination of stuff that we talked about, uh, family dynamics. Have you ever had time? You know, like I think one of my questions was, um, what was the most fun thing you ever did when it came to clouds, whatever. So this kid goes back in and he writes the second time around or third time around. And he comes back and he, he actually writes this poem about his grandfather and how they would find their dreams in the clouds. And so he talked about his, anyway, it was the whole thing. It was about his grandfather. It turned out to be a really, um, strong poem uh, for a seventh grader. You know what I mean? Just he just it, it just was really symbolic. He used that idea of clouds. You know how things change, life changes, and they dissipate. He used that whole idea of that, so it became really deep. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, and uh, so that was that happened towards the beginning of the year. But then what happened is because of of him going back into that, and then. You know, we talked through it, kind of rearranged some things to make it even stronger. Then all of a sudden he built up his confidence. Well, then the next thing he did, he started thinking at a deeper level on all of his pieces after that. You know, I mean, in other words, he started off surface, you know, just describing a cloud. He ended up coming up with this deep level about relationships. Well, then the next one, he's already at relationships. Now he's thinking about his topics and how one relates to another, et cetera. And then eventually he got to stronger themes. So those are the kinds of stuff that, that happens. Is that where you were getting? Yeah. Is that kind of what you were saying? A hundred percent. Cause I just think uh-huh. it's the, and I think that's where I just did a, I was on a podcast recently. Um, and it was all about workshop and, you know, I got to talk about it from up a podcaster standpoint, um, which is kind of fun. But one of the things I talked about there was that workshop isn't a quick fix. And that's the, that's the biggest negative it has going for it. And in a conversation with people who don't know Mm -hmm. what they're talking about. So, right. Um, and so you have this process, right. And it's also, I guess a piece of negativity from, people who are trying to figure out how to get their kids engaged and they're, you know, they try one or two things and like, well, why isn't this working yet? And it's like, I mean, we're talking, I mean, three weeks in curriculum standpoint these days is so much. Right. And we're saying you won't even have a solid breakthrough until some time has passed. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you, it's, that's hard to say, Hey, you know what? Let them go. Keep doing this. In three weeks, you'll, you'll have a few breakthroughs and then in a few more, you'll have more. And then before you know it, you'll be cooking. And then, um, 
I think that's that's scary for a lot of people, but it's also I think you just have to realize that's how people learn, right? You can't mm-hmm. this idea that we get kids into a classroom and they're all going to learn at the 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 pacing that the curriculum writers put. Like how arrogant is that? It's like, yep, you're gonna have four 45 minute lessons, and by the end of it, all of them will be here. And it's like, how do you know that? because you wrote it like it's it's almost like a false it's like our i don't know it's like our materialistic idea like at least here in america like it's like what do we do every time you look up something how long does it take to cook oh it takes 15 minutes right that's what i'm gonna do yeah everything's 15 minutes how long's the movie okay we knew that like everything we work on like all these like little time frames and we get to learning and suddenly we're all shocked at well this unit said it was going to take five days, but I'm to the end of five days. And, I barely know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this kid still doesn't know it. And in three months, there's still a struggle. And it's, I don't know. I think we need a, a broader perspective on these things, but it's very difficult to do when the mandates and the, the thumb of uh, the higher ups becomes so heavy. Um, and then teachers, I feel like it, you almost get to a point where you're like, you know what, this is what they want. This is what they're saying. I'm just going to do it. And if kids don't progress, I'll just turn a blind eye because it's not on me. Right. And I I feel like that's almost the complacency that is happening in a lot of areas. Not the people that Mm -hmm. would listen to a podcast, right? Not the people who are spending their free time listening to people talk about this stuff and grow, but it's the people they work with, right? Mm -hmm. The, the people who are tuning in right now who've made it to this point in the podcast <laughs> are a part of the solution, not because of listening to us, but because they're, they're working to better themselves as educators just in general. Right. right? Where I'm not saying we're the arbiters of anything, but I find that the people who are listening to podcasts, digging into articles, reading professional development books on their own for fun are different than your partner across the hallway. Who's just looking for quick fixes on Pinterest and calling it a day. Right. That's and true. I think I think that person across the hallway, though, is more common than the person listening to podcasts. And that's a problem. That is. Well, I mean, it's it's um, I, I want to go back to the it's not a quick fix. And I think that's really the biggest issue that uh, I think that that we face if we're going to be doing workshop in the classroom, um, because they do want a quick fix. They put you on a time frame and they say by this six weeks, you need to be here by this. Yeah. And so, so I guess the, the art of teaching because there really is an art and a science to it. Right. And the art of that is, is being able to kind of keep them on pace, but yet like, I don't know. I think, I think this is one area that I felt like I was pretty good at. Right. And that is, not acting like I'm in a hurry, but being in a hurry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm keeping an eye on the on the deadline. I know when I have to have that test grade in. I know when I have to have, you know, some my own personal deadline. But I don't want the kids to feel rushed because then they're not going to think because they're just going to be after. It, what happens is if it's all about the grade, then that's all the work they're going to give you is just enough for the grade. I want more from them than that. And so it's, 
I would find that, as I mentioned, two minute moments, it could be 10 minute moments. It doesn't, like you said, 15 minutes. But in those 15 minutes, I want them to have choice. I want them to be able to read or write something of their own choosing. I want to help facilitate that process. I want to have had contact with as many of them as possible so that I can see what they're doing in the classroom. And I want to move them to the next level. I want to move them, but I want them to move them naturally that fits within their what they can do. And I want them to see what they potentially can do and and strive to to meet that. And I want them to self-reflect. So that's a lot of stuff to happen in a hurry, but not really look like you're in a hurry. So you got to really be strategic. And when you do the, you, I, I think you got to, I don't know, I just, you just have to be strategic in your questions. Uh, your questions need to be deeper than about what color was the red scarf? And, and, and even what does the red scarf and the, I'm just using that as something, but, you know, red scarves always, you know, the, the color red in literature is, is symbolic. So what's the sim, symbolic reason? But the next question is, if you were to put in something red, what would it be and why would you do it as an, as an author? Mm -hmm. Why would you, you know, and so you'd let them play, find something red in your piece and let's play with this color red. Where can you insert it? And what would it mean if you did? Now let's go back and see what this author did. Why did they do that? So I think you can do that in just a short amount of time, but in burst. Sometimes you have to just do it in burst in order to bring back the hold. Does that make sense? In other words, th these short practices, but then in the, in the long run, what they're working on is a longer piece down here. So it's layered work. So... I, in my short bursts is when I get some of that immediate stuff that the district wants. But what I want is that long-term writing project that they've created because this is what they're working on because they've chosen it. And so we take those short bursts of things that we do, and then I have them insert it, find ways to insert into that longer piece. And so in doing that, I'm in a hurry, but I'm not. It doesn't look like I'm in a hurry. Does that make sense? I know that's really complicated. <laughs> it sounds yeah. complicated to me. <laughs> I get it. I think it goes back to the whole idea of, you know, like, I kind of know how a plane works, but I don't need the pilot to tell me everything that's happening. I really don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't need to know that, you know, he's struggling or forgot what button to push or he had to look up Google and answer real quick. Like, I don't need to know those things. Like, I just need him to kind of guide it. I'm going to trust the process. And he says, buckle up. And I go, you know what? I'm going to buckle up. And I think that's what a classroom should be. I think the kids shouldn't necessarily be aware of the moves we're making or why all the time. Right. It's, mm -hmm. I, I think that, uh, um, I think that we can know our time frame and kind of know where we need to go and, and pace things accordingly. But does it need to be on display necessarily? No, I don't think so. Um, but here's, here's a fact, Ocho. You ready for this? Yep. Maybe. We're almost at an hour and we have covered. <laughs> <laughs> what have we covered? Ancient civilizations to legislation to two minute spurts of thinking and knowledge and, and getting things in there. And I, quite frankly, I don't know a better way to sign off on 2023 <laughs> than by a range of things. The only thing that we were missing was a uh, car talk. That was really, Oh, the, is you, how's uh, your, 
How's the truck? How's the truck? Great. I gotta get it. that Every in. Every time I'm into it, I'm so happy. It's like my favorite thing I'm I've ever good. had in my life. I so you're not gonna buy another Jeep? No, no, no. Not no. anytime soon. No, my son makes fun of Jeeps. He goes every time we pass a uh, anything, <laughs> he'll be like, "Is that a Jeep owner? Are they lame?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, pretty much." <laughs> now you just now not all Jeep owners are lame. I want to defend those. There, I look, some of them are pretty cool. Opinion, not mine. <laughs> Okay. We're very dogmatic in this household. Ladies and gentlemen, that's been Craft the Draft. This is the end of 2023. Are you joining us? Are you subscribing? Are you leaving reviews? Are you going to join us on Patreon in 2024? That's the real question. Because if you're not, <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. Just kidding! You can listen to us regardless if you subscribe, review, or support us on Patreon. But all three of those things do support the podcast, keep the lights on, keeps us going, keeps us having great conversations. You have a question. Ochoa brought up a great point. She wants more questions. I think what we should do is on the Patreon, because we can do some posts that are public, right? I think we should do a public post once a week that says question thread. Okay. We can, we can keep them going. We can delete them every week, whatever, so we only get the freshest questions. That way, maybe it's an open invitation, right? Maybe clicking DM is just too hard for people. Maybe maybe going into the messages, they, they don't want to, they, they feel like they're imposing too much. So maybe if we just put it out there, we'll get a little bit more, right? Okay. We'll see. We'll try that for 2024. So keep an eye out for that. I'll post about it uh, when we do it. But ladies and gentlemen, come back next week for another conversation. We're actually, I think we're going to release this this as a whole episode. Let's do an yeah, hour it long. Because it's because yeah. otherwise half of it is talking about nothing um, related <laughs> to teaching. And so I think this will be a whole hour. Then we'll come back and record in a few days uh, and make it happen. But ladies and gentlemen, that's Pamela Trump, Jacob Chastain. Support us on Patreon if you have not already. Just like Donna, Amanda, Matt, Jen, Lori, Hannah, Andrea, Tracy, Susan, Natalie, Destiny, Melissa, Carol, Courtney, Rebecca, Sarah, Amy, Mark, Leah, Brandy, and Alicia all have. They get bonus content, they get bonus episodes, and so much more, just like you can. But until then, know that we are here. For you.